0: It's God's light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You are a child of God. Your plain small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine. As children, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. How's everybody doing today? Good. That was kind of a reluctant thing. Are you having a good Father's Day? Good. I'm glad you're having a good Father's Day. It's great to see everybody this morning. And as I get started, I want to say happy Father's Day to my dad, Charles Balthrop, and to my father-in-law, Lonnie Williams. I'm so grateful for them and the influence that they've had in my life and uh, guys I just want you to know that one of these days when I grow up I want to be a dad just like you so thanks for your influence in me that's a great thing I would like to invite you to do a little bit of house cleaning with me for me today could you just help me with a little bit of housekeeping in your worship guide today is a set of notes that look like this if you could take those notes out right now that would be fantastic notice that there are bullet points with fill in the blanks on the front if you'll just take a pen and mark through all of that and turn over to the back side that's completely blank that's actually what we're gonna be doing today as I was preparing for today I had one direction I intended to go and then on Friday of this week my direction changed a little bit and so we've got a blank slate so if you're one of those fill-in-the-blank people like I am and I just like to have the blanks filled in just know if you pay attention to this side of the paper you're going to be terribly frustrated today, so just don't do that. Turn to the back side, and you can take notes there if you're someone who likes to take notes. That'd be a great thing. Mine's not blank because I've already taken notes, and so uh, that'll be a great thing. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, it's so great to see you today, and it is a fun day to be here for Father's Day. I'm I'm thankful for that. We've been in a series that we've called Ecclesia, and if you've been with us for any of these weeks for Ecclesia, I hope that by now that you can tell me that you know. What the Greek word ekklesia means. I hope you know what that means. Uh, If you don't, it's, I think, on the cover of your bulletin. But it means the called out ones. It's a Greek word that means the called out ones. And we've said for some time now that we believe that God has called us out as a church, He's called us out as His people to do something significant or to be something significant in our community in our generation. It's related to something else that we often say. We often say that we believe that that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and the church is His plan for sharing that hope with the world. We believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and the church is His plan for sharing that hope with the world. And I don't know if you've ever had somebody who's believed in you, Uh, but I have. I've had quite a few people who just, for no apparent reason, For no no good reason other than they just do. They just believed in me. And I've told the story before about Mike Taylor, who was my youth pastor when I was growing up and I was about 15. Uh, He looked at me, and actually I was about 14. He looked at me and he said, Hey, I heard a rumor that you play music every now and then. And I had had some piano lessons, but I didn't really play. I just had had some piano lessons. And he said, I believe that you should be the one to lead our student ministry in worship every Wednesday night. And so he gave me an opportunity. And on that first night that I led worship, I was completely awful. <laughs> it was horrible. I remember standing up and looking at the crowd, and 30 minutes later, I remember sitting down, and I have no idea what happened in between. But for whatever reason, Mike Taylor believed in me, and he asked me to keep coming back. He said, hey, I, I believe in you, and I'd like you to try this. And so I don't know about you, but I've had somebody who's believed in me, and I, I bet you have too. I bet you've experienced that moment when someone believed in you. And with this series that we've called Ecclesia, this idea that you are one of the called out ones. I think that's God's way of looking to people who have people of faith, people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, which I think is probably the majority of us in this room, and I know that some of you may not be believers yet. You may not trust the history around who Jesus is, and you may not uh, believe all that, and, and I'm grateful that you're here today. This is a great time for you to hear kind of some heart behind what we do, and it's also a great place for you to ask questions, and so thanks for being here today. If you're not someone who's a follower of Christ yet, this is a great place to get some of your questions answered, but, but I, I know that as we discuss this, one of the things we've said just time and time again every week is that God believes in you, and what He believes is that that you've been called to be or to do something significant in this community, in this generation. Now, I'm going to say that again. I believe that God has called you. God believes in you, and God has called you to be or to do something significant in this generation and in this community. Now when I say that out loud and when I've said it for the past several weeks, I think that your response to that is similar to my response to Mike Taylor when he first asked me to lead worship for our student ministry. No, <laughs> I can't play piano. I have no idea what you're talking about. And he was just very insistent and very persistent, and he got, he got me up there, and, I, and I, I was able to do that, and it's kind of shaped the direction of my life. But I believe your reaction to me saying that God has called you to be someone or to do something significant in this community, in this generation, may be similar to mine when I was a teenager. No, God hasn't called me significant, come on. I mean, first pride gets in the way, right? No one wants to be arrogant enough to say, oh yeah, God called me to be something significant. But I don't think that's the biggest reason why we sometimes doubt that idea. I think the biggest reason we doubt that idea is because in our culture today, our culture has confused some things. Our culture has confused the difference between prominence and significance. We assume that if someone is prominent, that they must be more significant than we are. We make the false assumption that because, you know, this guy's standing up here talking, and there were some guys up here singing a minute ago, and because of that, they must be more significant in the life of the church, or they must be more significant in the kingdom of God, and that's just not true. That's just, that just can't be true. It's not that we're more significant, it's that we're more prominent. I can give you another example of that. I know that in my relationship with my father, The relationship I have with my dad is not, it's far from prominent. I mean, the only thing you guys know about me and my dad is whatever I've told you. My relationship with him is far from prominent. I have a friend named Justin who's a pastor in Stillwater. Actually, our staff has a friend named Justin who's a pastor in Stillwater. And on the last day of school, his eighth grade son said, Hey, Dad, would you pick me up at school today? And Justin, being the crazy guy that he is, said, Sure. Well, that doesn't sound crazy. It just sounds like what Dad does, right? It's what a dad does. Justin had brought a video camera and he picked up his son at the eighth grade center in Stillwater dressed in a speedo, wearing a shower cap, and he had swim medals all around his neck and he comes running across the parking lot, Jack, hey Jack, it's your dad, I'm here to pick you up and they made a video of it and it's mom videotaping that, you know, and that video has been online now for a few weeks and it's got thirty one million views. And it was played on the Jimmy Fallon show and the Today Show. And this is a guy who was in Chris Wall's wedding <laughs> uh, who did this to his son. And now his relationship with his son is prominent. <laughs> my relationship with my father is not at all like that. We've never made a, a, a viral video. Nobody wants to see my dad in a Speedo. <laughs> no one wants to, never mind. Um, but I can tell you that my relationship with my father is significant. Maybe that's the way your relationship with your dad is. I'm gonna give you one more example of the difference between prominent and significant. If you would, everybody, just zoom right in on this right here. That's right, this is my nose. Maybe we can get a good angle of it. Maybe right here, this is, see that? That's my nose. (laughs) My nose is prominent. (laughs) Um, It gets more prominent every year. As a matter of fact, it doesn't just get more prominent. It comes with new features. Like recently, it's started growing hair out of it, (laughs) which is awesome because I'm like level 45, achievement unlocked. You know, it's like, woo, good for me. My nose is prominent. It's going to be in every picture someone takes of me. Everybody who sees my face is going to see my nose. It's very prominent. But if I were to have some kind of tragic accident, if I lost my nose, I would be funnier-looking Then, than I would be, than I am now, that would just be true, but I could live without my nose. My heart, on the other hand, is different from that. My physical heart. I hope that nobody ever sees my physical heart. I hope that my doctor (laughs) never sees my physical heart because my heart is significant. And if I were to have an accident that caused my heart to be removed from my body, I couldn't live without it. And so, when I say to you, that you are significant to God, that God believes in you. And what he believes about you is he believes that you can be or do something significant in this community, in this generation. What I mean is that you're in his heart and you are significant to him. So today, what we're going to see in the passage of Scripture where we are, we're in Acts chapter 11, is the chapter that we're going to be in. You can turn there now if you want to. Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be, and we're going to see four paragraphs. We're going to read four paragraphs in Scripture. If you're someone who likes to read Scripture and try to understand it and study it, I'd like to suggest to you that a paragraph is a great way to study Scripture, one paragraph at a time. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 11 is we're going to see four paragraphs and in those four paragraphs, each of those paragraphs has a question, and if you can answer yes to this question, if you can answer yes to, to any of these four questions, then whatever it is about is you're about to do, whatever choice you're about to make, whatever words you're about to say, whatever decision that you face, if you can answer yes to any one of these four questions, then you will be doing something significant in your community, in your generation. You'll be doing something significant in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to read it one paragraph at a time. So if you would, it's kind of our habit here to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So if you would stand with me, and what we're going to read is really just that first paragraph in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 19, and we're just going to read one paragraph, but we're going to end up, over the course of uh, of the message, we're going to end up reading all four paragraphs. Verse 19, Acts chapter 11 Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. Now, if you've been tracking with us, if you've been here for the past several weeks, what we've seen is a progression in this story where uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, salvation through Jesus comes to the Jews comes to the Jews, and all these Jewish people begin to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, the Jewish people, they've been looking for a long time for a Savior, and His name is Messiah, His title is Messiah. And there's a group of them that come to believe that this man who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that He did that for our sins, for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. They come to believe that, and they're all Jewish people. And so they do what Jewish people do. They believe that that God came to save the Jews. We've found Messiah. But over the past few weeks, what we've seen is that God is doing something new. It's actually not new to God. It's just new to us, new to His people. He starts teaching these people that salvation didn't come to the Jews. Salvation came through the Jews, Jesus was a Jewish man who was born as a Jew and now he has offered his life as a payment for the penalty of your sin and mine and those who trust in him for the forgiveness of sins will be forgiven and will come into a right relationship with God. Well, Jewish people began to believe that and then the further out they went, they began to tell people about that and suddenly Gentiles, Gentiles, Hellenists, that's us, that's me and you, people who aren't Jews, they began to believe this too. They began to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then this, this persecution begins to happen in Jerusalem. There are men like Saul, who are religious leaders in, in the life of the Jewish church, in the life of the Jewish synagogue, who believe that this sect of Christianity, this, these people who are rising up, they, he just came to believe that these are dangerous people to Judaism. And so he got permission to hunt them down and to throw them into prison and to torture them and to, and to kill them. He got permission to do that. So this persecution comes from Jewish people against Jewish people and against anyone else who believes that Jesus Christ is Messiah, that He's the Son of God, that He's the Savior, that He's the one who died on the cross and rose on, rose from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven. And so as this persecution happens, the, the Jewish Christians begin to spread out all over the region. And when you get to this first paragraph... What you see is you see that they've gone as far as a place called Antioch, which is an incredible city back in that day and that time. It was an incredible culture, multicultural city, lots of people. It was a growing community, lots of economic activity, lots of development, lots of growth, very international. And it says here, if you'll notice something interesting, verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now look. They were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Well, I just explained why that happened. It happened because they weren't used to the idea that salvation was for everyone. They thought salvation was coming to the Jews, and God was trying to teach them that salvation is coming through the Jews. And you see in the very next verse some people who got it, some people who understood. But some of the men were from Cyprus and Cyrene. So some of these Jewish believers were actually from Cyprus and Cyrene. They were actually from this region of Antioch, and they knew some of the people who were there. And so look at what they did. Who, uh, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turn to the Lord. These men who were Jewish men, these people who were Jewish people, were telling Jews about Christ and then some of them said, "Oh, I'm not just going to tell Jews about it. I want to tell I to tell everybody about it. I'm going to tell that salvation has come." through Jesus Christ they began to practice what i call the subtle rebellion of obedience <laughs> this is just the subtle rebellion of obedience in spite of what was normal in spite of what was practiced and stop in spite of what history told them and what was acceptable they looked up and they said this grace of god that's come through jesus christ i can't help but tell people about it. And the fact that you don't quite fit in and the fact that you're not quite like me and you're not Jewish and you don't go to the same place that I go and you don't spend money the way I spend money and we're not in the same political party and we don't vote the same and we don't think the same. We've got different jobs. In spite of all of that, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene said, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell them about the grace of God that's come through Jesus. And so here's the first question. This is an important question. For any decision you make, For any decision you make, any choice that you make, any words that you say, you can filter your thoughts, you can filter your questions, or you can filter your decisions and words through this this first question, will this choice tell the story of God's grace? Will this choice I'm about to make, will these words that I'm about to say, will they tell the story of God's grace? God's grace. That's exactly what these men did as they went about their daily life. They just told the story of God's grace, and now people who weren't like them, people who were different from them, began to come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to be someone significant in the kingdom of God, if you want to do something significant in the kingdom of God, if you want to really live up to what it means to be the ecclesia, then you can filter your words and your choices through this first question, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say. Will this choice tell the story of God's grace? See, tomorrow morning, some of you are going to be at work, and someone's going to come, you're going to be around the water cooler, or someone's going to sit down at your desk, and you're going to be on break or whatever, and they're just going to be talking, and they're going to start talking about their Father's Day. And some of them, there's three types of people who will talk about their Father's Day. Some of them are going to talk about this great thing they did with their father on Father's Day. Some of them are going to tell that story. And some of them are going to tell another story. They're going to tell the story about how much they miss their father because their father passed away a few years ago. And, and now they just desperately would like to have just one more minute with dad. And then some of them are going to tell a third story. And the third story is going to be Father's Day. I never had a father. My dad, he split. I don't know where he is, I don't know what he is, I don't know what he's doing, he's just never been a part of my life, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to talk about that, and he'll try to change the subject. But you'll be sitting at work, and someone will have a conversation with you about Father's Day, and what you say next, what you say next, what you do next, could be a moment that just comes and goes, just be another conversation at work, another distraction, another waste of time, another thing that kept you from getting your job done, or it could be a moment for eternity. Because you could ask this question, hey, in this moment, with what I'm about to do next, with what I'm about to say next, is this a moment that I can tell the story of God's grace? Is this a moment when I can do that? Can I take the time in this moment to say to the one who has a great father, man, I'm so glad you have a great father. I have a great dad too. Or maybe you could just tell your personal story. Maybe you're one of those, you're going to be one of those three people. Maybe you could tell your story and then you could say, but you know what else I know? I have a heavenly father. And let me tell you about him. Maybe that one whose dad is gone or that one whose father has always been missing. Maybe you can take a moment to just interject grace into the conversation and say, you know, I was at church yesterday and I was just reminded of the fact that even though I didn't have a dad, maybe that's your story, even though I didn't have a dad, I have a heavenly father. And he says that he'll be a father to the fatherless. And let me tell you what he's done for you. You see, on the ball field, when you're marching in the band, Whatever it is that you're doing, wherever you go, every choice that you make, every words that you say, you have the opportunity to tell the story of the grace of God. You can practice the subtle rebellion of obedience. And you can think to yourself, hey, this person sitting across from me, they're not interested in this. They're so different from me. They don't think like me. They don't act like me. They don't go the places that I go. They don't wear the things I wear. They don't do the things that I do. They're so... I'm just not even going to talk to them about the grace of God because they're just not interested and they might even be offended if I say something. I'm just going to mark them off the list and just say no for them. Can I tell you to stop? (laughs) Stop. Stop saying no for people. And let your life, let your story, let your words, let your choices be a reflection of the grace of God in your life. And just tell the story of what God's done for you, in you, and through you. That's what these people did in this first paragraph. That's the first question. Every choice, every word, you can filter through that question. And if the answer is yes, then you should do it. Will this story, will these words tell the story of the grace of God? Here's the next question. The next question is this. Will this choice, will these words add value to others? Will will this choice or these words add value to others? Look at the next paragraph. Verse 22, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Now, let's just stop right there. So, it's interesting that the most natural thing in the world for believers is that as believers are raised up, as people come to faith in Christ, they begin joining together, they begin meeting together, they begin spending time together. They invest their lives in one another and they invest life, their lives together around the Word of God. And, and in fellowship they spend time, they just, they just have a good time together. And all of a sudden what you see is that this group of, of non-Jewish Christians becomes this non-Jewish church. And the church at Jerusalem is hearing about what's going on. And so remember I said that that this was something new for people. And so you've seen over the past few weeks, and we're seeing it again today, that now it's not just are they becoming believers. Now they're becoming groups of believers. They're becoming a church. And so the church at Jerusalem, has they want to cooperate. They want to work together with these other Christian churches. And so they've sent someone to investigate. Look again at verse 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now when Barnabas had had come to Antioch and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord." Did you notice that? And a great many people were added. That's the second time that phrase has been used inside this passage. First, there are people who are telling the story of the grace of God, and a great number of people are added. People come to faith in Christ is what that means, a lot of them. And then in the second part, you've got Barnabas, and he shows up specifically to add value to the people around him. He's looking for ways to encourage people, and it says, and a great number of people came to faith in Christ. In the Greek, which I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can use a Greek dictionary. In in the Greek there, the words actually mean massive multitude. (laughs) And a massive multitude of people placed their faith in Christ. I actually think the world is desperately seeking someone to show them what the love of God really looks like. Someone who will really forgive the way he forgave, who will really encourage the way he encouraged who will really speak and live and do and accept and, and, and bring into their circle people who aren't like them, someone the, the way Jesus did. And if you look at the life of Barnabas, you see that. Will this choice add value to others? Tomorrow at work, tomorrow on the baseball field, tomorrow when you're just hanging out with friends, what can you do to make someone else's life better? What can you do to add value to them? How can you encourage them? I'm struck by the fact that when the church at Jerusalem gets together to investigate the reality or the validity of the faith of the people at Antioch, that who they sent was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They sent a man who is a good man, filled with the Spirit, and full of faith, is what the passage said. And I'm struck by the fact that he's Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They didn't send Barnabas the skeptic, <laughs> they didn't send him. They didn't send Barnabas the Judgmental. Hey, you guys don't do things the way we do it down there in Jerusalem, and I've come to set you straight. They didn't send Barnabas the Judgmental. They didn't send Barnabas the lawgiver and the lawkeeper. They didn't send him. They sent Barnabas, a good man, full of the Spirit and full of faith. And when he showed up, he encouraged them. He was the son of encouragement. When he showed up, because he was there, Everything was better because he showed up. Everything got better. Have you ever known anyone in your life who was like that? Where they walk into the room, and when they leave, you're kind of, oh, I'm sorry they left because they made me better. They made my life better. Keith Davis is sitting right there. Keith and I have worked together for nearly 20 years. (laughs) That's amazing. You put up with me for a long time. I'm better because of Keith Davis. I'm a better man than I than I once was. I'm a better husband. I'm a better pastor. I'm better in every way because God put Keith in my life. Have you ever known anyone like that? Have you ever been anyone like that? You see, when God says, I believe in you, and I believe you can be someone significant in this community, in this generation, I don't mean prominent, I mean significant. Through every choice and every decision you have to make, through every word that you, you could ask that question, will this choice tell the story of God's grace? Will this choice add value to others? <laughs> There's a third question you can ask. This one's the hard one for me. This, this question's hard for me. Will this choice strengthen my devotion to God's word and God's people? Will the, will the choice I'm about to make Well, the thing I'm about to do is, am I supposed to move from this city to that city? Am I supposed to take this job or that job? Am I supposed to hang out with these people or with those people? How am I supposed to invest my time? Should I go to this Bible study or should I go to that practice? Should I be involved in this activity at school or that activity at school? When should I say no to something? When should I say yes to something? You can filter all those decisions and all those choices through these questions. And here's here's the third one. Will this choice... Strengthen my devotion to God's word and God's people. Look at the next paragraph. The next paragraph begins in verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember Saul? Saul was the one who was persecuting the church. Now Saul's had this incredible encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. Now he's not seeking to destroy the church. Now he's preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, and they glorified God in me. So Barnabas knows here's a person who can add value to this church at Antioch. He already speaks the way the people in this culture speaks. He already has a connection with them. He already understands things the way they understand things. But more than that, he understands the Word of God. And so I can go get Barnabas. I can go get Saul, Barnabas says. I can bring him here, and he can add value. He can continue to teach these people. So look, again, verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church, and they taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here's this group of believers. They're brand new believers, and they're committed to one another. And they're committed to being together, focused on understanding and reading and teaching and learning and living the Word of God. And they're so devoted to one another. They're so devoted to this idea that I'm going to add value to others. They're so devoted to this idea that I'm going to tell the story of the grace of God everywhere I go. They're so devoted to God's Word and to being together that they build this reputation those people are Christians. How do I know? Because they're followers of Christ. How do I know that? Well, because Christ is the one who forgave, and I see them forgiving. Christ is the one who loved, and I see them loving. I don't see them showing up as the son of judgment or the son of skepticism. I, show them sh- I see them showing up as the son of, en- son of encouragement. And so they built this reputation in their community not for being an incredible organization, not for having this giant structure or this giant building. Or, or they showed up. They showed up they built this reputation because they were together, and they were together around the Word of God, and they told the story of God in a way that connected not just with the people who were like them, but the people who were very different from them. Will this choice strengthen my devotion to God's Word and God's people? I said, this is the question that I struggle with sometimes. And I struggle because I'm a pastor on staff at church and I can be involved in a thousand Bible studies and I, I can come to church all the time. And at some point in my life, somebody, and this is true for you too, this is true for both of us, at some point we're going to go on vacation and at some point we're going to be sick, but I can, I can tell you that, that being here on a Sunday morning in this place, in this room together, singing the praises of God and studying the Word of God, it changes me and it changes my family. And when I miss, my family misses something that they need to know. They miss an experience with God that matters, that makes a difference in me and in them, that makes a difference in our family and the way our family works and operates. It, when we miss, we miss something important. But it's not just because I'm on staff at church. Um, there are things that, that I miss when you're not here. Because it's not about just what happens on the platform. There's something that happens when you come into the room. I was sitting over there and I was listening to you praise just a minute ago. And the testimony, the story of your faith was being raised up by your voices and you were saying, praise the king, he is risen. And I was just listening. And it wouldn't have been the same without you. You see, when I miss church, when my kids miss church, they miss something to learn. When you miss church, you miss something something to learn. But you know what else you miss? (laughs) You miss something to give. There's someone seated near you who will look at you and go, I know them. I'm a little more comfortable in this room now because I know that person. There's somebody I recognize. Someone's going to be encouraged by the story of your faith. Because you were here and because you were in Sunday school. And while you were in Sunday school, you just had what seemed like a normal, everyday, average, mundane conversation with someone. But it's someone who's, you don't know this, but their family's just about to fall apart. But because of that conversation you had, you said something that encouraged them and changed the direction of their choices. We need to make time here more than that. We need to make time together important. Will this choice strengthen my devotion to God's Word and to God's people. I've been in hospital rooms where as a pastor I've gone to visit somebody and I can't get in the room because there are members of your Sunday school class who have packed out the hospital room. And there's just so many people loving on you and loving on the people who are in that, that dire, desperate circumstance that it's hard for me as a pastor to get in because you guys are already there doing the work of the ministry. And then I talk to a nurse or a doctor and they say, I can't believe the love that I'm seeing from this group of people. You showing up, being devoted to God's word, being devoted to God's people matters. Now, let me tell you why I struggle with this. I struggle with this because I have a daughter who's in softball and a son who's in baseball. And sometimes, being on the field on a Sunday morning to play a tournament means I can't, or they can't, or my wife can't be in church. So, at the beginning of the season, as a family, we have to make a choice. We need to ask this question. Will this choice strengthen my devotion to God's Word and God's people? Well, how do I do that? Because if you can't play on Sunday, sometimes with most of these teams, you just can't play. How do I do that? How do I make that choice? Because it seems like being gone is going to strengthen or is going to weaken my devotion to God's Word and God's people. So how do we do that? Well, we filter it through a next question. It's kind of a sub-question of this. And the sub-question is, is this a moment when it's time for me to go to church, or is this a moment when it's time for me to be the church out in the community? Is this, time, is this a time for me to go to church, to be with other believers devoted around His Word and around His people? Is this a time for me to go to church, or is this a time for me to be the church with people who aren't in this room, is it a time for me to go be the church? But see, and that's, that's a great question to ask, and we can, with a knee-jerk reaction, say, oh, yeah, this is time for me to be the church. I'm just going to uh, go play every softball tournament I can because I'm just going to go be the church. And, and, and that's a great answer, except that in order for, for you to be the church out on the baseball field or out on the softball field, you have to be intentional to your approach. It's got to be about more than just playing. It's got to be about these other two questions. Will this choice Tell the story of God's grace. Will this choice add value to the people around me? At some point, we're all going to go on vacation. At some point, we're going to miss church. I'm not saying be here every time the doors are open, but I am saying that when you're here and how you're here matters. So these questions are great questions we can use to evaluate. Are we in the middle? Are we living up to the thing that God believes about us, that God believes that, that we can do and be something or someone significant in this community, in this generation. And then there's one last question that you can filter your choices and your words through. Are we going to be the church? Are we going to go to church? Which one is it? Here's the last question. The last question is found in the last paragraph. I'll read the paragraph first. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the last question is, will I give generously? It's right there in the passage, that last passage. It says that that Agabus stood up. Agabus was a prophet from Jerusalem. He stood up and he said, hey, guys, there's going to be this need. It's not a need yet, but there's going to be this need. And I think we can help meet this need. And so they decided to give according to their ability. They decided to give generously. I think it's interesting that they chose to give to meet a need before there was a need. They chose to give to meet a need before there was a need. And now I know because we're in church... And and I understand that when we start talking about giving, you might think that I'm automatically talking about giving to this church. And I'll unashamedly say to you that if you wanted to give to this church, that would be great because I believe this is a worthy target for your gifts. But that's not really what this is about. That's not really about that. You can give to this church if you want to, and it supports an incredible number of great things. We give away at least 10% of everything that's received. And what I mean by giveaway is I mean we partner with other organizations all over the world who are missions organizations. We're meeting needs with at least 10%. So that's the minimum that we give. But through the mission, there's even more that we give directly into our community. And through my one, we're sending kids to camp for free. And a few weeks ago, someone called me and said, Hey, Chad, I need a car. Man, it'd be great if we could help you out with that, but we don't have a car, and the next day someone calls and says, hey, Chad, I've got a car I'd like to donate to the church. Fantastic. I just got a woman who called me and said she needs a car, and we gave that card. We just it just passed right through the church. We just gave it directly to her. She was in tears because she'd never experienced that kind of generosity. And it didn't happen because of the church, it just happened through the church. And so if the church is the target of your gifts, great, more power to you. But that's not really what this is, Just it's not just about that. They gave to meet a need before there was a need. Will you give generously? They, give in a, they gave in a way, look at it, it says that they gave in a way that was disciplined. He stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. That means they knew what they were giving to and why. They didn't give out of some sense of guilt. They didn't give out of some sense of shame. They didn't give just because they've got a lot and they start to look you know, impolite if they don't give some of it away. They didn't, they didn't give for those reasons. They gave because there was a specific need. They gave in a way that was disciplined. And then it says they gave in a way that was percentaged. What I mean by that is verse 29, then the disciples, each according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Will you give generously? They gave in a way that was disciplined. They gave in a way that was percentage. Do you understand the freedom that you have, the freedom from guilt, the freedom from shame, the freedom you have in your budget when you can say, I know what I'm going to give to and I know how I'm going to give. When that person shows up across your desk at work and says, man, I just can't, Make it this month. There's more months than there is money, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. If you've set aside in your budget money that you've decided, I'm specifically, this is designed to give away the freedom you have to go, I can help with that. Here, let me help you out. When you give in a targeted way, the power of giving in a way that supports something like the mission or that supports missions around the world or that supports the work of a a group of people who are passionate about adding value to their community and sharing the, the gospel with others and who are devoted to one another, the power of giving that because when I give, my little bit is added to your little bit which is added to somebody else's little bit and all of a sudden we can accomplish so much more than we could ever accomplish on our own. Will I give generously? You see, this is the last of the four questions. If, if you really are going to be that person, because I, I know that God believes in you. God believes that you are that person who will be significant in this community, in this generation. This is the how-to. Filter your choices, your words, filter your decisions through these four questions. In this moment, with my next step, will the next choice I make tell the story of grace, God, grace of God? Will the next words that I say, will they add value to someone near me? Will the next choice I make, will the next decision I make strengthen my devotion to God's word and God's people? And will I be that person who gives abundantly out of, out of the generosity, out of a generous heart? Because I, I, I'm meeting a need before there's a need and I'm, I'm, I'm disciplined in percentage about it. See, because I know someone, that last idea of giving generously, the person who is the absolute best example of that I've ever met, is Jesus Christ if you think about what it was he did you know this to be true you know that your life has been hurt by the temptations that you give in to you know that your life has been hurt by what we would call sin whether you go to church at not, whether you you buy into the history of who Jesus is or not you've experienced the hurt that comes when you give in to a temptation and that sin takes over your life you've experienced the hurt that you've brought on yourself, and you've experienced the hurt that you've caused other people because of your sin. You've experienced the hurt that other people have caused you. And Jesus, in His generosity in heaven, He looks down from heaven and He sees what God saw and He says, God, Father, I know you want a relationship with them. I want a relationship with them, and, and I can fix that. And God the Father says to His Son, but wait, if you do that, the only thing that will pay for that price, the only thing that will do that is your blood. Blood's the only price that can be paid. That is, that's the way justice is satisfied. And Jesus turned to His Father and said, I know, and it's okay. I'll offer my life, not just a percentage of it. I'll offer it all so that these people can be forgiven. And the relationship with them And you can be made right. And so today, those are our questions. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been called to be someone significant in this community, in this generation. And if you can answer any one of those four questions, yes. With your next decision and your next words, you'll get it right. You'll get it right. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have yet to place your faith in Him, receive the gift that He so generously gave. You know that sin has hurt you. Jesus can forgive you. All you have to do is trust in Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The reason why we bow our heads and close our eyes is because this is a moment when you have an opportunity to just kind of talk through with God the things that we've talked about today from His Word. Some of you need to place your faith in Christ. You'd like to know more about what that means. You could come forward and take the hands of one of these men, and they'd be glad to help you understand more about it. You could even go out in the back, go through the back doors, go to the coffee shop or go to the, uh, the welcome center and just tell someone back there, hey, I'd like to know more about what it means to place my faith in Christ, and they'd be glad to talk with you about it. For some of you who are believers, even after hearing what God's Word has to say, you're still not convinced that God's called you to be significant. Remember, I didn't say prominent. I said significant. And maybe there's a sin in your life that you just keep tripling over. Maybe it's the same temptation and you need to come down to the altar and give that to your Heavenly Father. Maybe you need to pray for someone else who's struggling and just trying so hard. And you can be that voice of encouragement. You can be that one who tells the story of God's grace. And you need to bring that to the altar and just let God deal with that.